Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for My Wit Radio, brought to you by Women in Technology. Now here's your host, Tricia Stezzi. Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Women in Technology's uh, monthly show on Business Radio X. This is Trisha Stezzi. I am so thrilled to have um, my guest here today that we're going to learn a lot about uh, diversity and inclusion and, um, and that I feel that this is a perfect topic with us here to talk about today on Women's History Month and how um, that topic affects everything really, but um, also especially in the technology world. But let me back up and first say, um, why are we here today? We're here because of this amazing organization, Women in Technology which empowers girls and women to excel in science, technology, engineering, the arts, and math from the classroom to the boardroom. Um, and I'm actually the volunteer program director for uh, one of our programs called WIT Forums, which is a gathering um, of uh, technology professionals. Um, about once a month on Wednesday mornings, we get together for breakfast and have some amazing content uh, our next WIT Forum is going to be about um, having a powerful presence as a woman in the professional world. Uh, I do want to make an announcement that um, we are shifting the date out for that to until um, April 22nd. So mark your calendars. Um, and uh, so you can find out more about that and register at mywit.org. And now I'm so thrilled to introduce our guest for today, who is um, Tarsha McCormick, and she is the head of diversity and inclusion at ThoughtWorks. And um, with that, I think I would love to have you, Tarsha, please give a little background information about um, really about ThoughtWorks and, and your role there. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, today, Tricia. So ThoughtWorks is a global software consultancy that was founded over 25 years ago in Chicago. And since that time, we've grown to over 7,000 employees uh, across 42 offices in 14 different countries. And what we do is we really help our clients solve their complex business problems where technology is the differentiator. Excellent. And so um, I, I read in your background, because we just met today, and I'm so thrilled to get to meet you, um, that you were, have been there since the beginning, right? So when the company was quite small and helped, um, you know, guide the diversity and inclusion piece and others until this point where you're, it's such a larger point. Um, can you tell us about your role there and, and what has that been like and how has that maybe evolved over the years? Oh, definitely. So I recently celebrated my 21st uh, anniversary with ThoughtWorks. Oh. And so I joined the company in its startup phase. And when I joined, I was in our recruiting department. I've always had a passion for uh, education, for learning, yeah. for the law, as well as helping people. And after uh, graduating from undergrad, I worked in social services for many years and it got to a point where I decided it was time for a career change and uh, went into corporate America and started my HR career. Mm -hmm. And a couple of years later, I was introduced to ThoughtWorks. And as I mentioned, I started in our recruiting department while I was there. I went back to school. I completed a, a 
MBA with a concentration in HR management, and then later went into an HR generalist role, and then the the benefits manager role, and then the HR manager role. And almost 10 years ago, I relocated to Atlanta from Chicago to take on the HR business partner role. And for the last five years, I focused on diversity and inclusion for North America. So while diversity and inclusion um, is everyone's role, Mm -hmm. my role is to set the strategic vision and all the work around making our organization more diverse and inclusive and making our employees really feel like there's a sense of belonging Mm -hmm. and that they feel heard, they feel respected, and it's a place for them to grow. Um, okay, so let's actually step back a little bit. That was, um, you do have a long and amazing history there at ThoughtWorks. How about let's go even further back? Because here we, here I am sitting with a successful woman in tech. <laughs> and, and, um, I think it would, our, our listeners would love to hear how you made it to the top of the, of a field. Um, maybe, uh, are there perhaps certain, um, inflection points or moments where you, chose one direction or the other, um, or, you know, maybe mentor or something like, what was your journey like to get to this, this place where you are now in your career? Yeah, I, I really wish I could say that I envisioned or dreamed of a career Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. the tech industry. Um, that's not true. Mm -hmm. Um, and while it was not my dream, I do believe that I was destined to Mm. be here. Um, I think the first inflection for me was when I made the decision to move from the social services industry, um, into corporate America. Um, one of the, the key takeaways that I've always thought about and tried to uh, refer back to during, in my career is to, uh, step outside of my comfort zone as much as possible. Yeah. Um, and to not be afraid of a failure. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've changed that to say not to be afraid to try something because there really isn't a failure in there. Either you succeed or you, or you grow from the opportunity. And so I made the decision that if I went to corporate America and it didn't work, I could always go back to the social services industry. Um, so that was inflection number one for me. Mm-hmm. A big one uh, came very early on in my HR career where I had found that I had put some self-imposed limits on myself and my career. And it wasn't until I had a conversation with our CFO at the time who I was reporting into um, and we we talked about my performance review um, and really what my goals were for my for my career. And after we had the discussion, he said, you know, before you retire, Tarsha, what what salary do you hope to attain? And I thought about it for a minute and I shared a number with him. And he said, you know, that is a uh, he said, that's a, a, a really decent salary. He said, but I think you're capable of so much more than that. And I went home that evening and I had to give thought to why I was limiting myself And it was at that point that I realized that I was putting some limitations on myself. Um, And I'm sure a lot of other people do it um, and they don't realize that they're doing it. Um, And so when I find myself in my career being hesitant to make certain moves or make certain decisions, I sort of use that as my litmus test to say, am I putting some self-imposed limits on what I believe that I can achieve Am I not 
stepping out of my comfort zone and not pushing myself. In fact, having this discussion with yeah. you today and stepping outside <laughs> okay. of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. While I, I mm-hmm. don't, it's not comfortable for me to speak in front of people or do things like this. I push mm-hmm. myself to do it because I know it's necessary. That was such great advice. And I love it how you're walking your talk right now. That's uh, something that everybody listening can actually, you know, take in and try to practice on a daily basis. I love that. And um, also with the concept of there really is no failure. It's really, you know, an iteration, if you will. And exactly. You think about it in the tech language, mm-hmm. right? Like it's, okay, what did I learn and what what's the next version of this? Exactly. What adjustments need to yeah. be made? Yeah. And move on to the next iteration. I know. And then the point you made, I think a lot of people, especially women, experience this um, of the self-limiting beliefs. Um, and sometimes I think it gets called imposter syndrome and all different types of labels. But um, I feel like you're such a great example of pushing past that and that um, you should encourage people and and now we can mentor other people and kind of say how important that was that one moment kind of changed so much in your journey um and so kind of sometimes we have to coach ourselves and sometimes we're lucky enough to have someone push us uh i love those points so now i want to move on i want to kind of try to level set some of the some language and jargon in this in the field because um i'm not you know maybe not everyone's familiar with this topic but it's a really important topic um uh, i was watching a video um of a talk that one of thoughtworks board members um anita sands dr anita sands gave and the t- the name of the talk was three reasons digital transformations fail a pretty big deal, right? And one of those three um, was the failure to achieve a culture of belonging. And um, I've been hearing this word belonging, I know, uh, recently, more recently than, you know, in the past is diversity and inclusion, but belonging is huge. And so I thought, let's start and let's kind of define the three of those words, diversity, inclusion, and belonging. What's the difference and um, how can people start uh, thinking about those in their own uh, business world? Great question because they all are, all are very different. Yeah. So diversity uh, is the variety of the demographics or the social identities that we have in the workplace. You know, anything from gender, race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, you know, religion, um, sexual orientation, identity. Um, those are, um, that's what makes up the diversity. Inclusion is when you make a conscious decision to uh, think about how you're going to include or consider all of those social identities within the workplace. Mm-hmm. And with belonging, belonging is a feeling that employees have, that this is a, a an environment where they feel heard, um, where they have a voice, where they feel respected, and they can see um, themselves staying there and growing. And so to to give you an example of that, if we think about the different dietary needs that people have right now. If we are planning a meeting for 20 people, those 20 people probably all have different dietary needs. So that's the diversity of Mm. their needs. Inclusion would be uh, ordering food to accommodate all of those needs. So whether you are a vegetarian, 
You know, if you need a gluten-free meal, if you need a dairy-free meal, or such as myself, if you need gluten and dairy-free, mm-hmm. uh, belonging would be the employees feeling valued because someone took the time mm-hmm. to ask them what their dietary needs were, and then they provided food for the meeting that that they could consume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so three important nuances and layers to, and and this kind of gets to the kind of heart of why is this so important? Um, in other words, the there's a not only are these sort of the right things to do. You could, you know, if you're looking at through maybe a moral lens, but there's a huge business case for why c- um, companies should get this right. Um, and you know, the feeling of belonging is kind of the when you hit the grand slam and you've got all the pieces flowing and everything's working right, then you really get to enjoy the benefits. And I think, you know, we've made a few strides, but we have a long way to go. Um, and one of the things I, I, I heard Anita Sands say in her, in her talk was, um, we've all had that feeling of not belonging, like every single human being on some level, whether it was at an elementary school on the playground or something in your professional life. Um, and imagine if you're going through your entire career feeling like that. I mean, how could you possibly be productive and engaged with your work and giving, you know, bringing your whole self to work if that's the environment? So it's sort of logical if you ask me. Um, so I guess where I'd like to go with this is, um, can you speak a little bit to the business case? Um, it, like I said, for me, uh, I would think every single company would be doing backflips to get this right because there's such a huge benefit. Um, Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. So the the business case for diversity, inclusion, and belonging is, is, is extreme, right? Yeah. Um, You know, there's research out there that, that speaks to how productive diverse teams are, how more effective and efficient they are, how, um, how creative they tend to be um, than your 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 teams that don't have the diversity. Um, businesses tend to be more profitable mm-hmm. when they have diverse teams, mm-hmm. um, and I and I think a lot of that goes back to um, one the the creativity that mm-hmm. comes out of it, yeah. um, the difference of opinions and perspectives and backgrounds, mm-hmm. um, but also there's a, a morale, mm-hmm. you know. You have happier employees yeah. when they feel like they see themselves in an organization and that you really care about them. Yeah. And so companies um, should really be more intentional mm-hmm. about trying to create an environment that is not only diverse and inclusive, but one where uh, their employees uh, feel that they don't have to mask a portion of yeah. their identity right. um, when they come to work. And with so much going on in the world right now, we are impacted by what is happening in society. And you can't just simply check those feelings at the door. And so we do bring it into the workplace. And uh, as organizations, we have to figure out, you know, a a way to to help our employees work through some of that. Uh, Yes, it's so true. And one of the other uh, research points that I've, read recently is around innovation. So kind of to your point of uh, when you have a more diverse group of 
um, thinkers, whether that means their backgrounds on a particular topic or a cultural background, all, all different versions of diversity. Um, it obviously leads to different types of ideas and different perspectives. And so there's actually a lot of research showing that uh, the companies that get this right, um, they succeed in their innovation goals as yeah. well. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, we've all seen in the news uh, where some companies have, have missed the mark by not having yeah. diver- diverse yeah. staff in the room and right. they have, uh, you know, released some products mm. that, uh, didn't, didn't go so well. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, well, okay. To that point, I was wondering if you might have a few examples. Um, so, you know, people listening might be able to try something that is tested and has worked. I mean, are there, um, approaches or maybe an example of a program that you have found to really work. Um, and I'm sure that this has to be customized, right? From company to company, but just to kind of inspire people, uh, with, with something that you have found to actually create this type of environment that is beneficial to all. Yeah. So, you know, there isn't a one size fits all approach. Um, you, you really have to figure out what works best for your organization. But one of the things that I have found to be uh, very valuable and effective for ThoughtWorks is to uh, not take a top down approach. Mm. You know, you really have to, uh, involve your employees. You have to, uh, speak to them about what is important, uh, for them. And involve the employees in a lot of the work that we do. And so we have created uh, a diversity and inclusion council. Um, we really involve employees in, in, in sort of getting a, a pulse on what they would like to see. Um, and they help us drive a lot of the work, you know, doing inclusion and engagement surveys help substantially. Mm-hmm. You know, when we think about uh, other areas of the business, you know, do a, do an assessment of your business. Um, you know, how can we be more inclusive in our recruiting practices? Mm-hmm. You know, how can we mitigate bias? You know, how can we implement benefits and policies that are going to be more welcoming to uh, diverse candidates and employees. So those are a few things yeah. that we could do, but also try not to shy away from having some of the tough conversations, um, because it, it, it may not be easy to have those conversations, but I have found that once you have them, like your employees value you and you can begin to, to move on as an organization and start to tackle some other concerns. That makes a lot of sense. It's sort of this process, right, of trust building. Um, that, you know, I don't think that happens overnight. So you have to really be true to, to, I guess, yourself as a human being, whoever's having the conversation, right, and build that trust and um, environment where um, real solutions can probably be co-created, to your point. Definitely. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um Another area that I really want to like to touch on today is um, so a couple other terms that I feel because I, I feel like a lot of the problem in our country is that people don't know what they don't know. Sometimes they're just not exposed to this topic or they, um, you know, they're just living their own life and not studying. And maybe if they're not affected by something as much, it's not on their radar. So I was uh, wondering if you could talk a little bit about unconscious bias, um, things like microaggression, maybe intersectionality, um, you know, 
it could feel like jargon, but it's, it's actually something that is going on every day. So let's kind of uh, break that down a little bit. For sure. People. So unconscious bias, um, is the automatic judgments, uh, or shortcuts that our brain makes based on our experiences, you know, our background, our socioeconomic status. You know, it's said that our brain processes 11 million bits of information per second. But consciously, we are only aware of 40 bits of that. Wow. And so, yeah, so the brain is, is, is trying to make the shortcuts. Um, often it gets it correct, but sometimes it doesn't. Right. And when it doesn't, it can lead to the stereotypes and the generalizations and the assumptions incorrectly about people. Um, and I, <clears throat> excuse me, I facilitate a unconscious bias awareness training. And one of the things that I always tell the participants, um, if you don't remember anything else from the session, remember that you are not responsible for your first thought because that is your automatic brain. But you are responsible for the second thought and your first action and every thought and action thereafter because that's the intentional side of your brain. Um, we all have unconscious bias. Like there's no way around it. Um, but because we all have it, it's important that we try to mitigate it as best we can in the workplace so we can create an environment that is more diverse and inclusive where our employees feel like they belong. So microaggressions, yeah. microaggressions are the um, often unintentional uh, comments or behaviors towards uh, it's usually a person from an underrepresented uh, group. Now, the, the comments are usually negative or derogatory, and sometimes they can even be packaged as a compliment because oftentimes it's, it's unintentional. Um, so I was once told by a, a white male executive that I had professional looking hair. Okay. Yeah. Great. <laughs> right. Great to have professional hair. Oh, um, microaggression, mm -hmm. right? Because the assumption would be that you would assume that I wouldn't have mm -hmm. professional hair. Um, but can you imagine the impact that it would have on someone if your leader, your boss, your manager did not believe that your physical appearance was professional. It could really like stymie opportunities Absolutely. that you received. Yes. Right? Um, you know, things like walking into a boardroom and assuming that the woman in the room is the, um, the administrative assistant instead of the executive. Right. Those are those are all microaggressions. And when we talk about intersectionality, intersectionality um, is the concept that we all have multiple social identities. Um, so whether it is gender, it's race, you know, it's religion, socioeconomic uh, background and all of those social identities intersect and in that one person's experience just because they share one social identity will not be the next person's experience. Mm -hmm. We're both women, right? but we probably experience the workplace differently mm -hmm. uh, simply because I'm an African-American woman. My experience may be very different than yours. Right. So uh, I want to um, comment on a couple things you said, which I think that was such important information you were sharing. Um, I loved how, and you said in your unconscious bias training, 
um, you kind of let people rec or you re like explain to people that the first thought is automatic and then so they don't have to necessarily have this defensiveness of they automatically went there, but they're responsible for what comes after that. Right. Because that's their, um, actual choices that they're making. Exactly. Cause I feel like, um, sometimes right now people are like dig, dig in their feet and stand their ground. Like, you know, Oh no, I'm not doing something wrong. And I feel like almost it, just giving that little moment of saying, just recognize that we're not, it's not like a blame thing initially, but if you pause and actually uh, check in with yourself, then you can make a conscious decision or recognition that maybe, maybe you actually were doing something that could be done better. I feel like that's a tool that seems really important because to kind of get beyond this defensiveness, I feel like that's um, kind of stopping some progress. Um, and I just love how you pointed, pointed that out to kind of open people's minds to, okay, instead of defending myself, recognize this is like a, a process that goes in people's brains and that we have to take responsibility as adults to kind of educate ourselves as to, um, you know, how we can consciously, um, have an open mind and, and improve our own actions. Yeah. And it, it takes work. You yeah. know, this doesn't come natural. And so yeah. I, I also challenge the participants either during the session yeah. or when they go home to really think about some biases that, mm -hmm. that they've discovered that they have and really give thought to what is it rooted in? Yeah. Right. Because once you figure that out, like the beauty is you have the decision, yeah. you have the opportunity to make a conscious decision right. and really change your your behavior. And again, it's not, it's not saying that you're bad because right. you have biases. We all have right. them, but we just have to figure out a better way to, to deal with them. I think you're so right. We actually had um, a session at WIT forums recently on unconscious bias. And it was amazing because, uh, they even, they were giving us different examples and testing the room. And, um, we have even unconscious bias on like patterns of like numbers. I mean, it's, it's not just the obvious things that we think, oh, okay, men versus women or one race versus another race, but literally like everything, it's just how our brain works. So it's almost, um, freeing to recognize like we're kind of made this way. Um, for the po reason you pointed out, it's just efficiencies in our brain. Um, but beyond that, it's it's our responsibility to take a look. It's almost like just getting that awareness is powerful. And then we can go about putting in into practice some better behaviors. Um so I I I love I love um kind of sharing that with the world. And so thank you for <laughs> kind of taking us through that a little. Um so one of the things that um so in my in my kind of day job, um I focus a lot on on purpose and you know that's one of these things where we, to, to be most powerful um, in bringing that to bear, it shouldn't be siloed into one department. And I feel like uh, diversity and inclusion is one of those things too. Um, and so one of the questions I thought I'd ask you is, to kind of make this real for people is um, what's, no matter what role you have in any business, what you're doing today, what's one thing that someone listening could do today to kind of take a journey a step further in um, improving how they 
kind of operate in the in their world or in their office space um, so that they're being more inclusive and kind of creating this environment of, of belonging. So a, a good rule of thumb for me has always been to uh, envision myself or a loved one in a particular situation oh, and okay. think about how I would want to be treated or how I would want my loved one to be treated yeah. in a situation. And when I've been able to do that, it has helped me to be more inclusive of other people, mm-hmm. but it's also um, allowed me to open my mind mm-hmm. to different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it sounds a bit cliche, you mm-hmm. know, it's the it's the whole do unto others mm-hmm. as you would have them do unto you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has really helped me throughout my career in HR and even in, in diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've I've found that I may not always agree with the perspective. Yeah. But I can I can appreciate your perspective mm-hmm. and I can have an open mind. And I do realize that there are more than one way yeah. to do things. Right. And different doesn't mean deficient. It doesn't mean subpar. It doesn't mean wrong. It just simply means that because of our backgrounds, yeah. we all have a different way of doing things. And there are many paths to get to the same destination. I love that. That's so easy for people to kind of recognize, right? So different isn't bad. Different is different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I love that. And so um, let's kind of bring it back a little bit to women with Women's History Month and, and um, that focus, with, we'll have that lens this month. Um, do you have advice specifically for women who, especially in the tech industry, you know, um, more often than not, they're maybe the only woman in the room or one of only a few, um, you know, what has helped you receive the respect that you deserve? Um, or what are some tips you can give women, um, in that, in that position, which is very common? <laughs> yeah. We could probably talk about this subject for an hour by itself. Yeah. Um, it, it can be intimidating. It can yeah. be an uncomfortable to be the only person or one mm-hmm. of a few, yeah. um, in the room. And you mentioned imposter syndrome uh-huh. earlier, you know, recognizing that imposter syndrome is real. Yeah. And that is the notion that, again, a self-imposed notion that you aren't qualified mm. to be there. You don't have enough experience to have a seat at that proverbial table. But know that, know that you do. Yeah. The second thing is you have to be prepared. You have to know your stuff, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and most of the times we are prepared. Um, but we also have to recognize that there are some biases that come into play. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, we owe it to ourselves to have a presence in the room, mm-hmm. um, to, uh, speak up, mm-hmm. you know, to have a voice. And again, I understand that that can be difficult at times, but we, we have to push through that. Mm-hmm. We have to push ourselves out of our comfort zone. Um, I also think that networking. And building relationships is is really key. Yeah. And finding male allies who are going to be supportive of you um, in that space. And then also having a network of, of people who, you know, you can just vent to afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whether it is your sister circle, yeah. it's your network, mm-hmm. it's an ERG, just to, you know, decompress some and have that support. Because we... A lot of us have similar experiences, and I think there's a, a a benefit in in speaking to each other and being supportive of each other that you're not alone in that mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. Very good advice. Um, 
it just got me thinking um, about how common this is and that kind of it circled back to the beginning of our conversation about limiting beliefs and which is kind of great because that empowers us as either the woman or whatever the underrepresented um, underrepresented party is to empower ourselves to um, kind of have that presence that we deserve and that and also to your point, building um, trust with other people on who you are as a person. And so kind of that helping to overcome those biases, because when people have a direct experience with another human being, it breaks down some of these unconscious biases because they are actually treating you as you. <laughs> exactly. It's it's hard not to care about the yeah. person that you're working with yeah. every day. Right. It kind of makes you almost recognize like, wait, what? Why was I judging this group when I have, I'm having this beautiful experience with this human? So, um, I feel like that's a one to one, um, relationship building, you know, uh, activity. You know, that, that experience together makes a really big difference. And I love what you mentioned as well about kind of having the support group and network. Um, and in the topic of men and women, I, I agree with you. I, I feel like, um, we need all types of allies to kind of, uh, you know, create a, a an environment where everyone can thrive, and all of that actually supports the whole. Uh, back to the back to the beginning of if we want our digital transformations to be successful, then we all need to contribute to creating a culture that that works for everyone. Um, so I I'm just so thankful that you were here today to share this, um, your experiences, your journey, and kind of, um, kind of put some, you know, real life scenarios and, and define some of this jargon that's flying around because I think it's an important time right now. Is there an, anything else you want to kind of share or maybe, um, kind of a key point to end on that, that it, everyone listening can kind of take with them in their day today? Uh, I would just end on, um, just remembering that we all play a part in this, yeah. you know, there's always something that we can do to create a more inclusive environment um, for everyone and to keep an open mind. Because when you do, mm -hmm. um, not all, not only are you learning individually as an individual, but the the organization as a whole is growing. Um, so just try to keep an open mind and, and remember that different doesn't mean deficient. Beautiful. Perfect way to end this. So thank you so much for joining us today on Women in Technology at Business Radio X. Um, how can we find out more about ThoughtWorks if, if, um, we're so everybody's very intrigued now about, about ThoughtWorks and what you do. So where can we find you? Thank you for having me. You mm -hmm. can go to our website. We're thoughtworks.com. Excellent. And if you would like to learn more about women in technology and volunteer or support our programs, you can check us out at mywit.com dot org. Thank you. See you next time.